TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Ann Baldwin. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Connection. It's so great to have you along with us on this Sunday morning. My name is Ann Baldwin, one of the hosts of this program, and I'm so happy to have along Beth Connor, who is the Chief Administrative Officer for The Connection. She's here in lieu of Lisa DeMattis-Lapore, President and CEO. And Beth, it's always a pleasure to have you here with us as well. Thanks, Ann. Always a pleasure for me, too. Well, I'm, I've got a couple of, I've had a little, um, couple of things that have been bothering me lately. So, and one is the legalization of marijuana, which is, you know, getting closer and closer to finalization here in Connecticut. And I thought to myself, Beth, as you and I both book guests, I said, who could I get on here to, you know, give me another perspective as well as your perspective, especially when it comes to behavioral health, it comes to substance abuse, it comes to addiction, um, you know, I think it's it's a good topic. So I'm excited today to not only talk about that topic with our guest, but um, a couple of other things that are going on. And I want to welcome Ray Gorman, longtime friend and also longtime president and chief executive officer of community mental health affiliates uh, based out of New Britain, Connecticut. So Ray, thanks for being here. Good morning, Anne. Thank you very much. Thank you, Beth, for asking me to join you this morning. So, you know, Beth, you and I and and Lisa and I have talked about this topic before on this program. And I got to tell you, as a Colorado native, Ray, my home state has been ruined by a couple of things. One is the onslaught of Californians who brought themselves and their politics to the great state of Colorado. We'll leave that one there. But the other one is really the legalization of marijuana, which in my mind... Um, you know, as somebody who's in recovery, I, I do believe it's a gateway drug. I believe that it's, it's a money mm-hmm. grab. And, and, you know, Beth and Ray, you both deal with, you know, a very sensitive population of people um, with underlying issues. And I just don't think it's worth the money. Well, I think you're right. And, and you know what I find ironic and somewhat perplexing is our elected leaders and public officials, when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccine, say, follow the science. And yet, when it comes to legalizing marijuana, they're ignoring the science. And the science is very clear. It, it is 
Um, uh, the Connecticut State Medical Society just did a brilliant op-ed that was in the Hartford Current the other day. And, and they point out really hard data that shows um, the, the legalization of marijuana leads to tremendous increases in youth suicide, cognitive disability. Um, they talk uh, uh. very well, well-formed well and well-structured opinion that, that this is going to create more of a public health crisis um, that will far outstrip the tax revenue that it generates. Um, so I, I think we do have to look at the science. It's, it's, uh, the, the term recreational makes it almost sound like it's fun and it's casual and it's safe if you wear a helmet type of thing, but it's not. And, and so we, we have to look at the science and let the science drive public opinion. And I think, yeah, I think that that's what's lacking a lot. I mean, we, we look at these types of situations and we look at the revenue that it brings into the state, right? So there's that... Uh, there's that paradox, you know, is it good for the state? Is it good for the individual? And I think that's really what we're grappling with here as well. You know, we here at The Connection feel the same way about uh, legalization as you do, Ray, uh, in terms of it not being uh, helpful uh, to our clients in recovery. Um, so, you know, it is something that we certainly have our own opinions on, um, but yet, you know, things are moving forward in quite another direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, the the common agreement I think that all providers uh, and and thoughtful people in Connecticut have is that we should decriminalize possession. We have to take a really good look right. at the criminal offense aspects of it. There is a a social inequity, a racial inequity in the convictions rate and in the sentencing rate. All of those things have come to bear and and have become more evident as people have looked at this issue. That's a real positive, and I think that's something that certainly I I know so many people would would support the legislature trying to address. Again, at the end of the day, any tax benefits to the state are going to be far overwhelmed by the social demands, the program demands. And Beth, as you know, and we've been doing this for a long, long time, the, the, the cost of living uh -huh. never keeps pace with the funding that we get from the state for any kind of prevention or treatment program. So any kind of windfall that comes out of this initially, it evaporates immediately. So I think if you look historically at other things that have been, you know, not so favorable or maybe not so healthy for our community. Um, for example, mobilized against tobacco for children's health. I was involved in that campaign. Mm -hmm. Senator Blumenthal stood out there and was going to help us get all this money from big tobacco. That didn't go where it was supposed to go. Same with gambling, same with the casinos, same with the lottery. So why is this going to be any different? And I would think that Beth, from the Connections perspective, and also Ray, from community mental health affiliates, rather, that you're also hardly being able to keep up with what you've got coming in the doors today and wouldn't this just add another layer to that mm -hmm. yeah sure it, you know it, it we providers like the connection and like cmha <clears throat> we're the organizations that mm -hmm. allow the state to move forward with these policy initiatives whether it's closing a state hospital if it's closing a prison if it's uh, doing more with jail diversion programs it's the providers like us that are the ones that manage those clients that are no longer going to those institutions. Right. Um, so again, this would be another one of those issues, I fear, that would create a spike in demand that we really don't have the resources to address. And uh, as part of a system right. that's been underfunded for 10 or 15 years, um, there's only so much more coming out of a pandemic, recovering from that. There's only mm -hmm. so many more projects and programs that organizations like mine can take on without adequate funding. You know, and we're often thought of as and called the safety net, right, to, to the state. And, and that's what we do. We provide that safety, um, you know, for our citizens. 
And I know, too, we've seen a drastic rise in overdose cases, in uh, substance abuse uh, cases throughout our, our system, throughout Connecticut. I think the pandemic has made things worse, um, not better. And, you know, this is just another uh, look at what can happen and how things can change, can get worse um, if we don't make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and Beth, I'm sure you'd agree with this. We're, in addition to being human services providers and healthcare organizations, we're employers. We're, we're significant employers in our community. And the whole notion right. of right. legalizing marijuana, I have serious HR-related and personnel questions that no one seems to be able to answer. Right. What does this do for pre-employment screening? What does it do for discipline right. in the work environment? And so I have those concerns, too. And I'm not seeing any of those addressed by the recent legislation. We've had some of those conversations internally. Um, and it is a very fine line. Um, which makes the job even more difficult in terms of enforcing, uh, you know, regulations and rules and such, uh, you know, when the substance is in your system for extended periods. So, um, you know, it just is that extra layer of complication that we just don't want to have to deal with these days. And there's a whole nother issue of regulating what's in this stuff, right? That's a whole nother mm-hmm. component. And I know even in Colorado where they think they've got it under control, you know, where it's grown, the lab that it goes through, um, the distributor that is, um, has it in their store. There's just so many different components. And I can tell you, too, as somebody in recovery, now I'll tell you, I've tried it. And I've tried the gummies since when, when I was out in Colorado last time. And it did give me that feeling of something was different, but it wasn't a good feeling as somebody in recovery. Because I can see where it's kind of like riding a roller coaster, right? It's fun and it's fast. But then you strive to find the next biggest, faster roller coaster. And that's where I really see the problem, especially for folks that already have substance abuse or addiction issues. Well, I think you're right. And and it's like comparing the roller coaster, to use your analogy, the one that's at the, the church carnival that's held once a year to, to the one in Texas that's 1,000 feet in the air. Um, the, the psychoactive ingredient, THC, in, in pot used to be about 4%. There's studies now that indicate the active ingredient of THC content in pot is 17 to 25 percent. Well, that's a much more potent wow. drug. We're not talking about the stuff that people smoked at Woodstock or back when we were in high school. And we're talking about something that, that again, follow the science. The science and the data is there. It's a different product. It has a much, much different outcome than what people think. And so they need to follow the science. So Ray, Ray is also, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Ray Gorman. And um, Ray is with Community Mental Health Affiliates. He's the president and chief executive officer. And also Beth Connor is with me today from The Connection. So Ray, you've worked at other, you know, the Village for Families and Children. You've worked there. But let's back up a few years when you also were the um, deputy commissioner for the Connecticut Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. How much does today's uh, Connecticut Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services have any say in this? And don't you think that there would be a concern, especially at that level in the state? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure to what extent the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, their commission of their staff, can have been authorized to speak publicly, whether in support or opposition. I think that, you know, as any state commissioner knows, that when the governor comes out with an agenda or is pushing an agenda, your job is to help what? is to help the governor push that agenda. Wow, really? And yeah, and and so I I think that perhaps there are probably some conversations going on about how could this work. Um, I, I think that, the, again, the science is there. 
Um, just because mm -hmm. surrounding community states have have gone into this that's doesn't mean that we. Well, it doesn't mean we need to, to make the same mistake. Small can crack. Why aren't we? You know, well, and 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 I think those are all the arguments that are not scientific in their usage. Um, you know, the the fact of the matter is, Demas is very aware of the stress that the current mental health system is uh, is under, and they they have done what they can right. in the absence of additional appropriations mm -hmm. to to be able to address that. Um, uh, most of the federal dollars that have come into Connecticut um, have been the only increased dollars that we've seen in the fight against opiate abuse mm -hmm. and disorder. So um, it, it, has been, right. it has been tough sledding for providers. It's been tough sledding for state agency budgets uh, to be able to move those dollars. Yeah, it certainly has. And I know, you know, we've gotten creative, uh, Ray, in terms of uh, looking at other forms of business opportunities. So we are now looking at, and, and we have been successfully developing our training, and uh, we are um, marketing our training to outside organizations and doing well with that. But we had to really take a hard look at, uh, you know, what our funding look like, what are we doing, what can we be doing differently to supplement our funding. As you know, and as you've said, you know, our funding doesn't cover all the needs that we do have to run our programs. Um, so we've uh, recently undertaken this uh, new approach, this business development approach, and look, we're looking at ourselves as a business, not as a nonprofit, and how can we, uh, you know, sort of help the community, but also bring in revenues and help uh, fund our mission. But you know, Beth, that, that just, you know, playing devil's advocate a little bit, I think that's a little bit sad. That makes me a little sad, because I think every organization we call them nonprofits we know that's not true you're, you're big business and you have to be uh -huh. um, you know what you're good at and you've got the proven results or you wouldn't have the funding in the first place you wouldn't be getting these grants you wouldn't be getting right. these federal dollars but now it's almost like you know the poor person who has to go and work three jobs because they can't make enough money at what they're good at you know but it's survival I would assume at this point for everybody to have well, to diversify Sure, and it's very competitive. You know, these state dollars, whether they are going to nonprofits or to other very needy causes, it's all very competitive. So it's competitive at the legislature. It's also competitive amongst the nonprofits. Um, you know, we're all vying for the same dollars to keep our clients well and healthy. And, uh, you know, and it's difficult business these days. Um, so we're, we're really looking at what we need to do to survive. As Ray mentioned, covid you know, it was a hit, I think, to all of us. And, uh, of course, something we couldn't have planned for. Um, and w now that we're sort of coming out of it, um, you know, we're sort of looking back and saying, how, how could we have done things different? What could we have done to supplement um, sort of the, uh, the the state funding that we, we typically, uh, you know, do receive? Um, and how can we make ourselves whole with unexpected expenses coming up? Yeah, and, and I agree with you, Beth. And, you know, I think one of the biggest differences in in state funding over the 20 years, it was 20 years ago that I was deputy commissioner there. I was, it was right out of high school I yeah. took that job, right? Um, the the nonprofit organizations used to pursue corporate, private philanthropy, do fundraising yeah. activities, but that yep. was to supplement what the state already provided us with dollars right. for. Right. Now we do it to underwrite the costs of what the state wants us to do, which is a huge difference. Um, it was great if I could have a, 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 a gala benefit, raise $50,000 and use that to provide service that the state was not paying for or a capital improvement project or whatever that they right. wouldn't pay for. 
now a lot of organizations are using that to, to meet their payroll costs, to provide the services right. that they're licensed by the state to provide and designated by the state to provide for a certain population. So that's really eroded the financial stability of, of nonprofits. Um, yeah, I think no, that, I agree. Uh, the other thing that we have learned with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, and I hope these learnings um, stay with us, we've, I think, learned that the provision of, of telehealth, telemedicine, is a yep. huge game changer for people that are either compromised with transportation or they mm -hmm. they feel the stigma of going to the building with the sign on the door, or geographically Absolutely. they're isolated. Well, we can now connect with them. I really hope the state has learned from this that, that, that this is a way, a very viable, very cost-effective, sensible way to provide services. Um, I think that we've learned that uh, as a result of the pandemic, that there are ways that the state can license and regulate our programs that make a lot more sense than the old traditional ways mm -hmm. of site visits and site reviews and and now can be done a lot more efficiently and a lot more effectively. Yeah. So uh, the, the we've all experienced the downside of the pandemic, mm -hmm. but What's for providers, there's, there's some real positives that have come out of the new way of doing business that I hope we retain yeah. moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And and we, we the same. You know, we have looked at the pandemic as an opportunity and we've also looked at it as, you know, how can we pivot and how can we best help our clients, which is why we're all here. Um, and there are opportunities that didn't exist before. We're all streamlining our efforts um, and we've all had to pivot very quickly and find out new ways to do things, right? Our technology departments had to mobilize super quickly in order to uh, pivot to telehealth. Um and, you know, we were among the, the lucky ones, I think, that were able to, to do that successfully. Um, and so there were some really good lessons learned, even though we, we did have a lot of uh, hardships during the year. Um, and as you said, things that we will be taking forward into the future. And we hope that others do the same. And I, and I think they hopefully will. But at the same time, quit trying to change things that already work. For example, you know, Lisa and I talked on this program last time about how, for example, the connection works um, with certain programs like folks coming out of incarceration, the program works, the numbers are there, the results are in, but yet they want now these services to go out to bid. So what are you looking mm -hmm. at? Are you looking at the bottom line of these agencies that you haven't even, you know, thrown a buck at in how many years? And it's not like you're throwing money at the problem. People have had to, nonprofits and like organizations have had to actually shut down programs for lack of funding. So, you know, you can't sustain effectiveness and treatment right. without the dollars to do it. Why, do, why, do, why don't the people at the big house take that seriously? I don't get yeah. it. Yeah. And in some cases, I think there's, there's been either uh, statutory or regulatory requirements passed on rebidding for contracts. What, what unfortunately that doesn't take into consideration is many of the patients and the clients that we serve, right. they have longstanding relationships with our organization, with their clinician, their case manager, their recovery specialist. Um, they're familiar with the layout of the facilities that they go to. It's all a, an integral part of their of their living in the community. You uproot that and change that to another provider, another location, could have devastating consequences on people. Yeah, absolutely. And and we've certainly seen that uh, here at the Connection. And uh, but as I said, you know, it's uh, it's dollars, and you know, the, the cost of doing business is greater than it ever was. You know, inflation and our contracts haven't kept up with inflation necessarily. So there's always 
Um, there's all, it's all come down, comes down to money, unfortunately, and how much is it to go around? And, um, you know, I think right now we're lobbying for more dollars for the nonprofit system because we've had sort of the short end of the stick for too many years and we've pinched pennies. We've done what we could to make things work. Um, and it's really, we're getting to the point where it's really difficult for us to sustain ourselves. And I remember back in the day when I worked at Channel 30 and I would do stories on nonprofits, I remember how territorial they were. Like, this is what we do and, you know, we don't want to talk about anybody else. We don't want to help anybody else. We're, you know, this is, we're in this neighborhood, you're in that yep. neighborhood. But I've seen the collaboration and the sharing of services. And if you can't do it, you know, at your organization, you're going to find somebody that can and vice versa. So, you know, that's been done. That's been done currently. So, you know, maybe this is, maybe we should just legalize marijuana and it would solve everybody's problems. Or is there saying, <laughs> or is there saying here, and you know, a lot of the news articles, they're talking about legalization of cannabis. It's not cannabis. It is cannabis, but it's pot. And you know, I know we're going to get letters and calls from people saying, well, you know, I have, I need it for medical reasons. Good for you. That's why you have a doctor. There's certain things I take for medical reasons too, and that's why I have a doctor. And now their concern is saying that they, uh, they're worried that, you know, kids under 21 might have access to it. How do we protect them from that? You don't. You know, don't you think I was breaking into my parents' liquor cabinet when I was 13 years old? You can't stop that. You know, big brother or sister brings home their, their stash. You know how that goes. I mean, so there just there is no way to control this, and it's just so sad. And what I would say, if I had it my way, Ray and Beth, you know what I would do? I'd go over to Datco, and I'd get a big-ass bus, and I'd drive it down to the mm -hmm. big house, and I'd make every legislator get on that bus and I would personally, if I had the license, drive them to Colorado and show them, tell them to spend two, three days, doesn't matter, downtown, suburbs, driving on the side, side uh, roads, driving down the highways, it's everywhere. People are holding up signs instead of we'll work for money, we'll work for pot. I've seen it, I felt it, my family still lives mm. there and they can't wait to get the hell out. This is what I have to look forward to if I stay here? So what do you think? I mean, you've got years and years of experience, both in the private sector and in the public sector and the government sector. Um, so what do you think, Ray? Do you, I mean, I personally believe this is going to become a reality because if there are dollars attached, I don't think we can fight it. And I really don't think that people have a voice much in the state anymore. So it's probably going to happen. So then what? Well, I think that from, from what I understand, there are several bills that have gotten out of committee, one in the Judiciary, one in the Labor Committee. Um, and... I hope the Public Health Committee gets a, a crack at it. Um, and there will be some form of reconciliation in what the bills actually do. I think there is uh -huh. very high support in the General Assembly for decriminalizing and for looking at some of the social inequity, racial inequity issues um, from the you know war on drugs that we really failed to win. Um, we never will win. But, but I don't know um, to what extent it will be made legal. And I share some of the same concerns that you do. And you know, we deal with a we deal with a population. I mean, my organization serves people from Central Connecticut to Northwestern Connecticut, from New Britain to Waterbury, all the way to Torrington, up to the Mass border. Um, we have serious concerns in in such a large mm -hmm. geographic area. What the impact on this could be to the communities we serve, sure. the, the patients that we serve for, our family members, our friends. It, it's a large concern. Maybe we'll know more as this bill works its way through uh, committee. Um, but uh, I share some of your, 
your same reservations about it. I just, again, I said it at the beginning of the show, follow the science, and it's a real easy call. Um, so I hope we do that. Do too. Beth, any final thoughts before we wrap up this? I got some energy going today. I feel good about that. <laughs> it's been a great conversation. And Ray, your insights have been spot on. Uh, so we thank you for, for joining us today. You know, I think we'll see how it plays out. We can, you know, contact our legislators, um, you know, raise our voices and let our thoughts be heard. And, uh, you know, the rest is unfortunately out of our hands. But I think this is a good discussion and it just brings light to sort of one side of uh, you know, the legalization question and what can happen and, and how it can hurt, uh, you know, so many vulnerable people in our communities. Absolutely. Food for thought. And you're really hungry if you're smoking pot. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up with that. Um, thanks again, Ray Gorman, who is the uh, President and Chief Executive Officer, Community Mental Health Affiliates, Beth Connor, Chief Administrative Officer at The Connection. For more information on The Connection and all of their programs, go to theconnectioninc.org. And of course, we couldn't do it without you. We want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. platform with something for everyone news in order to secure convictions in a court of law it is essential that we conclusively sports that clock at four Donchich. the step back three you bet. music you set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts whatever you love hear it right here on TuneIn. go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 